This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning. Welcome to Deep South Dining. Mouth White here with Carol Puckett. Good morning, Carol. How are you? Oh, great, Mal. How are you? It, it was your birthday week. Oh, And boy, yeah. did you, you got around. Well, I do get around a little bit now. You know, there is a pandemic out there, but I've done what I can to get out and about. Uh, you know, I was planning to have uh, a birthday lunch at, at the Mayflower, but for our listeners, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, they are now closing on Sunday and Monday. So if you're thinking about going to the Mayflower on Monday, you need to rethink that. So from there, we ended up at uh, Crazy Cat, another favorite of mine, and uh, I had the meatloaf and the chopped salad with salmon. And did I see that you made a trip to Memphis? No, I did not make a trip to Memphis. It did appear that way on social media, but, uh, you know, a lot of times I post old photographs um, And then that was Chico Harris who was reporting about the catfish that I shared with you in Java. Okay, well, that was a pretty fine, yeah, uh, fine-looking piece of catfish. But one of my favorite things on your birthday, and and I always love to get in on your celebration, was the photograph that you posted on your Facebook page of your, I guess it was your third birthday? Yeah, yeah. you know, the the idea is that my brother Hal and I's birthdays were only 10 days apart. And so we always had, uh, you know, shared birthday parties. So I found an old photograph. Uh, and what's cool about it is not only the vintage photograph and all the kids that I grew up with, but that uh, we both got our own individual cakes, even though we shared the day. It's, uh, yes, it's I, know, cool. I noticed that. But I recommend uh, for, for all of our listeners to go to Malcolm's Facebook page and see what a sweet little guy little Malcolm was. And as, as you, I'm sure, noticed, we were dressed alike in those days. Oh, uh, yeah. As if we were twins. Of course, my brother Hal was two years older than I. Uh, but we were often dressed identically as we are in this photograph, except that I have on suspenders. So my pants must have been a little too big. Yeah. I think we both suffered through those days when they dressed families alike. I'm still in therapy over having to dress like uh, my other five siblings in Christmas card pictures. It was kind <laughs> of a thing back then. <laughs> yeah, it was a thing. And uh, I still see it today. Uh, no criticism for me. I also made a trip out to Kate, who has started opening back for lunch on Fridays only. So a lot of restaurants, like I just told you, the modified Mayflower schedule and the Kate modified uh, schedule was they had just not reopened for lunch until last week. And they started opening uh, on Fridays only. So I had another birthday lunch out there and at this lunch, I had Jackson Hot Catfish. Love that dish. Which, which is terrific with pickles and white bread. Uh, and it's uh, sort of a take on the Nashville Hot, but it's the Jackson Hot uh, Catfish Fillets. And you know really what makes it really authentic as a riff on the Prince's 
fried chicken, hot hot chicken, and Nashville hot chicken, is that you have to have the white bread because it soaks up that incredible burn your mouth hot sauce. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It, it's terrific. It's it's terrific. But um, I I see that that you're going to have you had to postpone Java and me for birthday. Yeah, well, we'll, you, we'll you are all too busy. I've got, a, got the rest of our lives, and I'm ready. I'm available this week, next week. You tell me when. Uh, now, another thing that happened uh, in my kitchen over the weekend is that my friend Eric Straysner went speckled trout fishing uh, out to Chandelier Island and just slayed the, the, the trout and brought me two big cryvac bags of fillet, uh, tenderloin fillet fillets, trout fillets, and last night I cooked up the first batch by penneing them in some oil and butter, lightly drizzled uh, in flour. And then I made a Worcestershire lemon butter sauce and poured over the top of them. And they were so fresh and, and so good. And I'm so grateful that Eric Straysner shared his bounty with me. Sounds delicious. Reminds me of the little trout miniere. Exactly. That's the point. And one last thing I wanted to point out uh, that I've been eating lately that I'd like to share, and that is I like to take a, a ripe avocado and, and fill the cavity where the, where the seed is removed from with salsa. It makes the nicest, freshest, easiest salad on the planet to make. So give it a shot if you haven't tried it. Now we are this month, it's uh, March is Women's History Month. We are highlighting uh, women of the culinary arts. This week it's Jackson, Mississippi native, Kat Cora. Well, I want to wish all women in Mississippi and around the world, today is actually International Women's Day. And it is a fantastic time to highlight our friend, Malcolm, who we are so proud of. Kat Cora, a Jackson, Mississippi girl who was the first female iron chef. And, you know, in her career, she is a chef, a cookbook author, a restaurateur, a television host and personality, and a health and fitness expert. And we've got to, to mention she is also the mother of six children. Um, but her her parents, Virginia and Spiro Cora, were well known in, in the Jackson community and are still missed. And she was raised in the in the Greek community here and you know pays a lot of attention to those Greek roots in, in her food. But uh, she was awarded in 2015, President Obama awarded her the Volunteer Service Award for helping to address the most pressing needs in the community and the country, and the President's Lifetime Achievement Award for building a better nation through food and through her volunteer service. So, Kat Cora, we love you, we admire you, and happy International Women's Day. Great. And one thing uh, also about Kat was that one year she served as the Grand Marshal of Howe's St. Patty's Parade and had one of the most outstanding outfits I have ever seen in the parade. She dressed literally as a cat 
and had on makeup <laughs> and this outfit. I mean, it was stunning. And she just took the, the, the crowd by storm. She was so, so good. And she's quite a talent and we are very proud of her. So we tip our chef's hat to uh, Kat Cora, Jackson native, as we celebrate uh, Women's History Month uh, in March. And Carol, you've been following a fascinating story about the World Central Kitchen coming to Jackson to help feed people in the water crisis. Tell us what's going on there. Well, I have long been a longtime fan, as you have, Malcolm, of World Central Kitchen since, since it started in 2010 with uh, Chef Jose Andres, and they have responded to crises all over the world. But last yesterday, I just happened to be uh, following, going on their Twitter feed and saw this most amazing picture, an aerial view of cars around, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of cars. And as I looked closely at it, it was in Jackson, Mississippi. And World Central Kitchen has set up a kitchen here and uh, gratitude just, you know, it's just hard to express the gratitude we have for their presence. So we reached out to Josh Feltz, who is on the team here through Twitter, and he responded almost immediately, and we have him on the phone. Welcome, Josh Phelps, and welcome, World Central Kitchen, to our community. Hi, uh, thank you for having me. Hey, Josh, we're so glad you could join us. And uh, if you would, tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing, not only here in Jackson, but across the globe. And, and for our listeners who aren't familiar uh, with the World Central Kitchen, maybe you can give us just a thumbnail of, of the work, the good work that y'all do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so World Central Kitchen has been around for a little over a decade and started after our chef and founder, Jose Andres, responded to the earthquake in Haiti and in turn, you know, was feeding folks in need after that, uh, culminated with the creation of a culinary school, which is still going. And since then, you know, has been, that was sort of the crux of WCK leading up to Hurricanes Harvey and Maria back in 2017. And then with a large response there serving millions of meals after, you know, those disastrous hurricanes, we sort of pivoted to a model of greater emergency response. And that has been, um, you know, our, our MO since then with having emergency response, but then also having a programs team, a resilience team that sticks around and helps develop these areas that we've responded to after disasters for the long term. So it's sort of an overall holistic response, um, you know, when we go somewhere instead of just, you know, pulling our stakes up and taking off, you know, if and when we can, you know, we try to provide uh, guidance for the future in places that have food insecurities and things like that. So that's sort of a, uh, a quick way to put it. And, you know, we've responded to hurricanes, fires, uh, disasters like the, the recent blast in Beirut. Um, you know, we have a, a pretty good presence in the South Pacific, um, working over there in Indonesia with, you know, typhoons and things like that. Um, you know, more, some of the more recent long-term responses we've had have been in Hurricane Dorian in the Bahamas, um, and as far as hurricanes, and then in the Gulf 
all last summer. But then with the pandemic, uh, we actually figured out, um, you know, what is the best way that we can help people who are suffering. A lot of industries have contracted people, lost jobs, especially the restaurant industry. And what we did was raise uh, a lot of money and put that right back in, spending, you know, over $150 million on our restaurants around the nation and paying them to make meals for those in need. So we worked with, I want to say, over 2,500 restaurants of over 400 cities, you know, across the nation on that initiative. And that, and that's still going. You know, we've we've been trying to affect policy with, the all, you know, the FEED Act and getting some FEMA money released so that more uh, folks and more restaurants can um, take advantage of that, keep employees hired, keep the lights on, and, and um, you know, benefit the economy in that way. Well, that's a beautiful initiative, the, the restaurants for the people um, mm-hmm. Thank you. part of this. It, it, it's such a unique way of looking at feeding people. I think that your whole model has changed the way that we all look at disaster food relief. Because you're about a hot meal, a healthy meal, and using local products, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And for people who may not be paying attention, um, uh, you know, our water crisis here in Jackson uh, has been devastating. Over 40,000 of your fellow Jacksonians were without water immediately following Uh, the ice storm crisis. And for weeks thereafter, uh, people have been without water. There are still over Mm -hmm. 5,000 people uh, here in Jackson who are without water. And you are working directly, Josh, uh, to address that need, if I understand it correctly. Yeah. So, you know, we we had a large presence uh, when that storm first came through Texas. And I believe you know, that's why folks started reaching out to us about Jackson. And, and you know, what's really been really important is folks like yourselves, um, media outlets, people on social media, you know, keeping the nation aware of this and, and you know, pinging groups like us so we know what's going on. Um, and that allowed us to, you know, contact some restaurants in the area. Our director of chef operations, Tim Kilcoin, um, contacted the Manship Wood Fire Grill and we were able to start serving hot meals and get water pallets delivered yesterday uh, at the College Hill Baptist Church. We're going to continue doing that today at the Bethlehem Center, and then we're going to work with the Boys and Girls Club all week, too. And, you know, with our experience uh, in Texas serving over 175,000 meals and truckloads of water, um, we had uh, we had several people on the ground, um, one of my colleagues, Dan Abrams, uh, who was there and, you know, just finding out where the need was, directing it where it needed to go. And while he is not on the ground in Mississippi, he's helping manage that need from afar uh, here in D.C. where I am at headquarters. And then we have two team members on the ground today, Sam Block. You mentioned that aerial view that uh, he took to sort of show people the breadth of the situation, right? When you see when you see that go up in the air and the number of cars that are there waiting in line, you the 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 need, it, it really resonates with people. So Sam is there, and he's been working with the restaurant group, and he was at the distributions yesterday. Uh, and then Lucy Spock, another colleague of mine, uh, flew out at 6 a.m. this morning, so she's going to be landing there in about an hour, uh, and she's going to be there all week just helping to guide where the meals are going to go, where the water is going to go. And, um, you know, that's really important to us is to be on the ground. Uh, you know, in Texas, we weren't able to get there until the storm passed, 
um, but once we're on the ground and start to really communicate with the community-based organizations, the churches, the Boys and Girls Clubs, it really allows us to to dig in uh, to the local community and establish those deep relationships and make sure that, um, you know, pockets of need are not getting missed. And that's what we'd like to do. You know, we'd like to help out the large distributions where you see people driving up with cars, but you know, if we have people on the ground and people can ping us like you did, Carol, on Twitter and say, hey, I heard that, you know, there's some people over here who haven't had power and they need this, you know, they need some water, maybe they need some meals. Can we come pick them up? Can someone take something there? And um, that's how we like to approach things. I've got a couple of questions for you. One, mm-hmm. if any of our listeners today are without water and without meals, how do they access your services? So today we're going to be doing a public distribution at the Bethlehem Center, Um, you know, at least 600 meals around 3 p.m., and there should be some pallets of water there. And then we have uh, truckloads of water coming in. I mean, we have a a whole procurement team um, led up by a gentleman named Jason Collis, and and, and his job over the last couple weeks has been, you know, getting water from anywhere in the nation to where it needs to go. And, you know, we were taking water from Little Rock to Texas, from Florida even, I think, over to Texas, and stuff coming from California. And I know we've been working with our vendors in uh, the Louisiana market to get uh, stuff over to Mississippi. So um, every day this week there will be something. I would say the best way is to do like you did, follow WC Kitchen on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, we're always posting where we're going to be. We'll post, you know, a lot of times a nice graphic of uh, and with the times and the addresses. But today, for sure, uh, 3 p.m. Bethlehem Center, there's going to be at least 600 meals from the same Demanship Wood Fire Kitchen Group. They've been amazing uh, with water, and then we'll be updating that throughout the day. Okay, and uh, the Bethlehem Center is on uh, Blair Street. Okay, next question. Is there anything we can do to help? Are there uh, volunteer needs? Do you need people to help hand out food or water? For now, uh, I think some of the local churches that we worked with have been filling that need. But, again, that will be something also that we would post online if there is a need. You know, that's the one The one good thing about working with local organizations is a lot of times they come with a built-in volunteer base. So we we are good for now. That's not to say that can't change over the next few days. Um, you know, another way is, you know, no matter how big or small people have the means, um, 100% of any donation, whether it's $1, or $10, $100, goes right back into our mission. And if people donate online, wck.org slash donate, you can actually, you could put uh, Jackson or Mississippi in the form, and that, you know, instead of that going to our general fund, that goes, all of that will go directly back into, um, you know, our mission in Mississippi. So, you know, or just share what's going on. You know, we're going to be posting, um, you know, that's one thing we like to do is to let people know what we're doing. And, that, you know, we, we post on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, just so people see, and then people around around the nation see you know, because that we're able to sort of get the word out and maybe people aren't talking about this uh, storm, people's pipes burst, 5,000 people still without water. You know, I, I know the pressure's getting close. I know everyone's waiting uh, anxiously uh, over there to hopefully get that boil advisory lifted. But, you know, in the meantime, if people share what we're putting out there, like that aerial video you spoke of, then that's going to help people um, know what we're doing and make donations to us that we can put back in the community. 
Well, uh, about the the donations, one of, one of my favorite things about uh, WCK is how easy it's been to donate. And I know that the organization has changed a lot and gotten so much bigger since I started doing my little bit. But it was always, it is so heartwarming to see that this is made up of small donations. I mean, this is a people's organization. And there's a way on the donation site to give monthly. And even, you know, giving $10 monthly monthly is a huge help. Um, and I want to, to give just a personal thank you for the work you did in Hurricane Dorian. My family uh, lives on a small, my brother and his family live on a small island in the Bahamas. And oh, wow. y'all hel- uh, helicoptered. Elbow key, uh, hopefully. Yeah. Down. But y'all, y'all, a helicopter. Yeah, I've, I've been there. I, I, I went yeah. there in a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. But, wow. You know, they are they are so isolated, and yeah. uh, you know when my brother was telling me about this wonderful organization and how they would all go when the helicopter landed. And, uh, <laughs> I remember this. Yeah, absolutely. I said, I know, I know those people. I know yeah. those people. So anyway. Thank you for the amazing work you do around the world, but especially thank you for what you're doing in our community. Thank you so much. And and I know we're connected now on social and email and any updates, uh, you know, I can send over to you as they're happening as well. Okay. Thank you so much, Josh. All right. Thank you. uh, Josh. Yeah. Josh Phelps uh, with us there with the world central kitchen in Jackson feeding people, dis, uh, dispersing water, really doing uh, the Lord's work uh, in and around Jackson, where we still have uh, 5,000 fellow Jacksonians uh, without water. We still have the boil water alert on. And look, folks, this is a big problem. Uh, you know, Jackson um, really has a $2 billion uh, water system problem. And it's not going to get resolved overnight. But right now, you know, we're still dealing with helping people who just don't even have running water, who can't take baths, who can't, uh, uh, you know, wash their clothes, who, who cannot turn on their faucets and cook. So this is a big deal. And we are grateful for everyone who's involved uh, in trying to eliminate this issue and particularly for the good work uh, of the folks at the world's central kitchen we're going to take a break now and come back and we're going to talk about a much lighter subject and that is the relevancy of the microwave some people think it's uh their favorite kitchen tool some people curse it uh uh, as uh cancer causing and uh just vile and, and not happy at all with what the microwave does we we got this question from an email and we're going to delve into it when we come back So you're listening to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Carol and I will be back to talk about the beleaguered but sometimes beloved microwave. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org.
You're listening to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett. This is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and those who stir the pot. Well, Carol, last week we received an email and we wanted to share it with people. And it's and it's about the place of the microwave in the Southern kitchen. And Java, I think you're going to not read the email. <laughs> But anyway, Carol, you remember we got this email and they asked us to talk about the microwave. Yeah, um, uh, I thought it was pretty interesting that that this listener, um, you know, said that some people think the microwave is is entirely useless and to throw it out of your kitchen. And wow. I never feel like that. I, I'm a I'm a microwave person. How about you, Malcolm? Well, we certainly have a microwave, and we use it. And I can name a list of uh, things that that I use it for. I warm up my milk in the morning uh, before uh, I put my coffee in my cup. Uh, I often melt butter uh, in the microwave uh, just to have it already melted and separated for cooking purposes. I'll heat up a little bit of soup or, you know, a small portion of vegetables that are leftovers uh, in the microwave. I, I don't really cook in the microwave, but I certainly use the microwave as a tool. Well put, Malcolm. Uh, the, yeah, the microwave, really the technology came out of World War II. And after World War II, uh, Raytheon tried to, you know, they saw that there could be some commercial value in this. And, you know, the story is, is that, that one of their engineers, uh, Percy Spencer, when they were working in a laboratory, felt uh, a peanut butter, I guess a peanut butter bar in his coat get hot as they were working around uh, these, these tubes. And he sent somebody out for some popcorn and they tried popcorn and the rest is history. But for you know, the first years, there were huge things that were going to be used commercially. Uh, I think one of the first use, uses was in airplanes to reheat food. But you know, during the 70s, they really you know, came to be a part of the home kitchen. And by the 80s, you know, microwaves were everywhere. And the first ones cost like $495, mm. which is $3,200 in today's terms. And of course, now we can get them for $39.95 uh, or whatever. But uh, back it's in the early... Buy one, get one free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As those things go. But I started the Everyday Gourmet in 1981, and I remember, you know, that was when microwaves were all the rage. Every company that produced one had a cookbook, and the idea was that we were going to be cooking in the microwave. And I can tell you there was some horrific stuff that was coming out of those cookbooks, and it was you know, people were trying to do their home meals like roast chickens, roast meat. You know, the first ones were big, so you could do all that at once. But it was, you know, mainly you stand there and cook it, and then you turn it, and then you add this, and you add that. So, you know, after some years, people realized that just wasn't going to happen mm. because the food just wasn't good. 
Right. But it it has really, really uh, found a place in the kitchen, and I love hearing what you know what you do with it. Uh, you know, reheating food is the number one thing, but for me, melting butter. Yeah. Cooking baked potatoes and making bacon. I think microwave bacon is absolutely amazing. Uh, corn on the cob. Popcorn. Popcorn. And also um, dis- disinfecting certain kitchen items like sponges. Yeah, I don't know if you ever microwave your sponges, but you can like take a sponge and fill it with water. I mean, not just saturate it, but where it's moist and put it like on a saucer in your microwave and, you know, put a little vinegar or lemon juice on it, microwave it for a minute and it totally disinfects your sponge. And other people use it to disinfect things like cutting boards. Uh, My cutting boards are too big to disinfect in the microwave, but... Well, but... You can pop them in a dishwasher, too, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. What about you, uh, Java? You a microwave kind of guy? Yeah, and I, I am a, I mean, I'm a, I guess being that I was born in 1984, and I hear this a lot with, you know, I guess the older generation, um, that I was born, <laughs> why, are you, why are you laughing? Why are you? <laughs> it's um, that, the you know, I'm part of the microwave generation. I but TV dinners came into into play around <laughs> around my uh, era, and you know, with the working, the it's kind of you know it all goes into context with the working moms and the, it, you know families, two parent household, um, Papa in a TV dinner because of the microwave, and everybody can eat. Um, I I liked when this uh, email came across our um, inbox because he said as a single man. Um, this, the, the microwave is essential for getting a healthy meal on the table. In addition to reheating leftovers, I do much of my vegetable cooking in the microwave, steaming carrots, broccoli, cabbage, green beans, zucchini, all this can be accomplished in two to three minutes. And one thing that I found out researching, uh, for, for this segment, uh, nutrients don't end up in the cooking water. I think one of the biggest myths of uh, microwaving foods is that you lose all the nutrients. But when it comes to vegetables, you actually retain more because it doesn't cook. It, has, it doesn't have to cook for so long. So when my grandmother would say, don't put that in the microwave because it's not going to be as good uh, as, you know, roasting them on the on the on the stove or putting them in the oven. Well, I don't know, Grandma. This science tells us different. <laughs> well, you are so right about vegetables. That's one of the primary uses is is for vegetables. And it's it's interesting uh, on our list of good news about microwaves <clears throat> is this piece about how you clean it. And Carol, you mentioned cleaning the sponges. Uh, but it says you can actually clean your microwave with lemon juice uh, and you mix lemon juice and water uh, and you put it in your microwave for three minutes. So I, I've never done that. We still hand clean ours, but that's an interesting thought. And you heard it here, Malcolm. You heard it here. <laughs> well, it's all about getting away from those harsh chemicals, too, you know, being yeah, nat- yeah. being natural with the lemon juice and the citrus. So what I have to say about a microwave is if it works for you, work it. And, uh, you know, some people uh, don't uh, 
don't want to use a microwave, great. There's, there's no rule that says microwaves must be employed. But I think particularly the, uh, you know, our uh, caller, our listener who, who wrote us an email and explained primarily how he uses it. I think it's an excellent use of a great kitchen tool. So, you know, it, it's part of the um, toolkit that we use in the modern kitchen. So for our listener that sent in the email, we do not agree with the message that you heard to throw out your microwave. <laughs> yeah. It's small enough. You can find a place to put it, and it, it's a great tool. Yep. So uh, if any of our listeners uh, have an opinion about a microwave, uh, just pick up your phone and dial one 672 and you're welcome to voice your opinion about the microwave. All right, uh, coming up on the show, uh, we are going all the way to Flora. Uh, you've been to Flora lately, Carol? I have, Mel. In fact, I got your birthday present uh, in Flora, and when we come back, I'll tell you what it is, and I will oh, be okay. delivering it today. Oh, goodness. I'm pretty excited. My, It's the birthday that just keeps on giving. And then we yes, still got to have the group lunch with uh, you, Java, and I, which will also be another bonus but when we come back we will be talking about the flora talking to the flora butcher that chef david rains so stay tuned i'm professor richard gershon from the university of mississippi school of law host of in legal terms if you're enjoying this podcast i encourage you to listen to in legal terms the show about you and your rights we find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White, Carol Puckett. You're listening to our Monday morning broadcast. We're grateful for each of you who've joined us. One of our favorite listeners who often calls in is on the phone. We always like to know what's going on in Kathleen's world from Osaka. Hello, Kathleen. I love you guys. The microwave is a tool. I was so against it when they first came out, but after working in many restaurants, I tell you what, the timing on it is just irreplaceable. You can do quite a bit. I don't do major cooking, but uh, like Java said, the vegetables and stuff like that, only one comment or two, when you have it, especially if you're short, try to get the microwave lower because if you have to lift above your elbows to reach in and get something, Short people have a disadvantage. It comes out <laughs> neck high, and no spills are, are, are acceptable in that area. But uh, also keep a pair or at least one thick uh, pot holder, uh, some kind of magnet in the handle, and put it on the microwave opposite where the working end, the parts are. Put it on the other side so you have it there. Don't say, oh, it's probably not that hot. Always assume it's going to burn you first. But I love cooking as an addition to the tools. 
and you can't you can't beat it, and it's quick, and it is safe. And uh, I think it's wonderful that you bring that up because usually when a cook or a chef says, "Well, I cooked it in the microwave," they go, "Oh, really? Do we have to eat it?" <laughs> the next question. But you can do some really good stuff with that. But uh, I'm glad y'all brought that up. Just for short people, try to locate it lower and try to keep a heavy-duty potholder or two on the opposite side so when you grab it, no accidents in the kitchen. All right. Well, Kathleen, thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for calling and sharing your wisdom. And those are two wonderful tips, keeping uh, a potholder handy because often things get hotter in the microwave than we realize, and it's uh, sometimes hot to transfer. And I love the the idea about... um, Often the microwaves are placed too high up in the kitchen. And so for all kitchen designers and architects, uh, Kathleen and I would like for you to locate the microwave a little bit lower uh, in the kitchen design so that we're not having to reach uh, way up and get on our tippy toes uh, to get to the microwave. Two two great tips. Now we've got another caller from Tupelo, Mississippi, uh, on the line, Mary Jane. Hello, Mary Jane. What's going on up in the first TVA city? (laughs) Well, it's a bright, sunshiny, a little bit cool day up here, and I'm looking forward to getting outside and doing some outside work shortly. But I just wanted to um, say how much I love my microwave. I've been using them as since they've been on the market. I'm one of that generation that was out there when they came out, and I've used them for years. Um, and while we've been talking, I've, I've fixed my hot tea, I've made my grits, and I've made my bacon. My breakfast is ready <laughs> while I've enjoyed your program. And it is so quick. <laughs> it is just so quick. I could, I, I live alone. I'm, I'm widowed, and I don't, and don't have family in town. And so most of my cooking is done in the microwave, on the stovetop, and in my Emerald Lagasse air oven thingy that I just got Ooh. recently. And uh, I know y'all aren't talking about that this morning, but I tell you what, for single people and for working families, working young mothers, you know, all of us in, at some part of our life or another, these, these quick and small appliances are a lifesaver. They really are. I just, I don't cook big meals very much anymore. And um, my oven is a great storage area. Mary <laughs> 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 Jane, I love your comment that, uh, about the air fryer. That's something that Malcolm and I really want to talk about in the next few weeks. We don't have a lot of experience with it. But boy, do our listeners love it. We have heard so many good things about it. And, you know, we want to understand it a bit more. Well, it would be and a great, it would be a great segment for you. They, yeah, I saw I the commercial on Emerald. Yeah, and it's just, it's just wonderful. I've had mine for about three months, I guess. And... Uh, uh, a dear friend here in Tupelo passed away and had they had a giant sale at his house, and he had bought one just a few months ago. It had never been used, and I, I got it for a really good price, but I would have bought it at the full price. It is absolutely wonderful. I cook everything, and I was cooking in a toaster oven before that. I mean, a, a smaller, not a toaster oven, but, it, you know, I could cook steaks and pork chops and all kinds of things, but 
but this is wonderful. You can do anything with it. It's just fabulous. Mary Jane, we appreciate you listening and appreciate you calling and sharing your wisdom about the microwave. And we will talk more about the Emerald Lagasse air fryer on another show. Right now on the phone, one of our absolute favorite guests has joined us, Chef David Rains from Flora, the Flora Butcher. Hello, Chef. Hello. How are y'all doing today? We're good. We're, We're really, really good. good. We're a lot better now that we have you to tell us what's going on in Flora. <laughs> okay. Where do you want to start? Flora is a different place and, than when we started out. Yeah, yeah it just is. tell us what's happening out there. Well, you've opened a new restaurant or moved your restaurant. Let's start there. We did. We took uh, Dave's Triple B. It was on High Street in Jackson, Mississippi, and we moved it out here to be just a block away from the butcher shop. Um, and just trying to be more and more a part of Flora as it start, you know continues to grow, and um, a lot of my clientele would drive from out in Madison County down to Jackson just to eat, so now they can come here. So it's fun to be a bigger part of this little town. Well, I mean, you have quite a culinary renaissance going on there, uh, and you know, you've you've certainly anchored one end of it. Now you're anchoring the other end of the street, and tell us some of the things that are in between. Um, they have since we've been open. They've added um, like the Railroad Pizza Company. They've added uh, Blessed Food Catering uh, for prepared foods. Uh, the Blue Rooster has moved down the street. They didn't leave. They just left that building, so they are still here. Um, we have a Florida Nutrition, which is right around the corner, that does kind of gourmet shakes and everything. We have a coffee shop on the other end of that block uh, that you know does gourmet coffee, uh, and a number of things have has been added out on Highway 49, but um, just the little downtown area of Flores has a lot of options now. And, yeah, of course, and there's bills. I'm, you know, I don't want to leave out bills, Creole Steak Depot. Right, and then just, you know, right down the street, you have two of our great local farms, Salad Days and Two Dogs Farms. Yeah. And I love how, how you guys collaborate on um, so much. It, it looks like the whole food community really comes together. They do, and Flora's just a great town with great people, so they come in. I mean, I see them all, all the time. Um, we, we buy greens in particular from Two Dog Farm, and then we get uh, salad greens, um, not collards, but like salad, salad greens from uh, Salad Days. But um, it's like a little family around here. Everybody, we see each other every day. We wave. They come eat with me. They stop by the butcher shop. We go out to their farm to, to pick things up. It's, it's you know, it's nice. Dave, tell us a little bit about the anchor of your operation, and that is the Wagyu beef that you serve that's unique to this area. If you could explain to our listeners a little bit about that product and the fact that you and your family raise your own cows uh, that you feature there uh, at the Flora Butcher Shop. Sure. Um, we started out um, starting. We did our wholesale for Rain's Farm, which is in Louisiana, um, about an hour away from Flora. Uh, we were uh, doing wholesale and had a butcher shop in the front in this little town, which we weren't really sure would be that great of an idea as far as people coming in. But next thing you know, we stopped doing the wholesale, and I turned it over to some family. Uh, I mean, friends and. Uh, People have worked for me in the past, and so now they're in New Orleans doing it because we have so many Louisiana customers, so they actually bring things up to us as we need them uh, instead of the other way around. Uh, 
so we just uh, we're just trying to be a farm to table. We're trying to help the farm. We're trying to get it at a reasonable price to people for the market that we're in. And uh, the product that we're serving is just getting better and better. So uh, as we've gone gone along. Um, Dave, I wanted to talk about another aspect of your business that isn't talked about as much, and it's one of my favorite things you do, and that is all the condiments that you sell. Um, my friend Malcolm here is a real condiment guy, as am I a condiment gal. And, and anyway, I, I come frequently just to buy things off the shelf because I'm living over in Edwards now, and it's not that far a journey. But I was going to tell you the array of goods that I have bought Malcolm for his birthday from your shop, starting with my very favorite thing you sell other than meats, and that's the fire and ice pickles. Oh, sure. Those, Those are so fun. They're good, and we actually, it's sort of an expensive way to go, but uh, our philosophy from day one has been to support every Mississippi product we can get our hands on. So when you go to my restaurant, you actually get a pulled pork sandwich or a pulled pork plate. We have fire and ice pickles on there uh, out of Natchez, and um, we we just have so many things now than before we started because it's all an individual. You have to go to one guy to get this one pickle, and you have to go yeah. to the other person to get this one salad dressing, and and so on and so forth. But over the last five years, we've just had this extensive rep- repertoire of uh, items made in Mississippi uh, that we sell, and uh, it's been a good thing around the holidays. Everybody's you know building little gift boxes and. You know, Father's Day boxes and, you know, all these barbecue guys, they want to come out and get a, a short rib plate. And we have all these rubs and sauces and marinades and uh, almost everything is made right here in Mississippi. Well, I really wanted to compliment you for that. And, and one thing I'm very excited about, I have not personally tried, but it looks just like Malcolm. It's called the Grumpy Man's <laughs> Peachy. Peachy pineapple sauce. It's from Purvis, Mississippi. Purvis, yes, ma'am. That's right. They have yep. a, bit, a really big line. Uh, his son, um, yeah. Well, I guess he names his company after his father, but he's he's just developed a whole bunch of uh, different jellies and uh, pickles and sauces and things like that. Uh, so we uh, we started carrying that. He started coming up this way from Purvis, um, and we started carrying it a couple years ago, and we've been real happy with it. Yeah, and the and the last thing for Malcolm is the redneck jalapeno honey mustard. Yeah, I it think they're gonna good. love it, Mal. Yeah, it's I'm good. Sure My wife likes it. That gentleman actually used to take me raccoon hunting when I was in high school, uh, and he started that factory. You know, he started his own business. Uh, you know, later in life. And so that was just a cool little thing to see him walk through the door and be like, oh, my gosh, you know, you're Big Dan. You used to take me hunting and stuff like that when I was a kid. That was so cool. Well, you and and all the people in Flora are doing what Malcolm always talks about, and that is building a creative economy. And, Malcolm, you you can take it from there. Yeah, I mean, people say why Flora and, you know, that sort of thing. But every time... I hear a report out of Flora, uh, it's sort of my dream come true, and that's taking sort of an old abandoned town and and rethinking it and bringing in creative businesses and creative workers. And and, and in this case, it's 
a lot of it's food centric, but I'm sure you'll see soon if you haven't already, Dave, you'll see artists and people who are makers showing up and, and, and pretty soon every storefront will be occupied by one of these creative workers. Oh, I think they're just going to have to keep building tent the town because they're running out of room now. Uh, but we do have some artists that have come in. Uh, we have people just down the street, still in the flora, like that's their, they have a flora address, who make super high-end chef knives. A lot of woodworkers. Um, just there's just if you just ask a few people, just go by the mayor's office and ask him how do I get this made. He can probably tell you off the top of his head, you know, two or three people in flora that know how to do it. Well, Dave, we appreciate you uh, being on the show with us today. Continue good luck in Flora at the Butcher Shop and, and all of your other enterprises. We'll get you back on soon. We appreciate the update. All of our listeners, we appreciate you. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. Today's show was produced by Java Chapman. For my co-host, Carol Puckett, and Chef David Raines, and, and the folks at, at the Central Kitchen, we appreciate the World Central Kitchen. We will post the address on our uh, site so that you can go and make a donation if you are so moved. I'm Malcolm White. Stay tuned now for now. You're talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And join us every Monday right here for more Deep South Dining, heard only on MPB Think Radio.